But my faith, going to church, studying the word, doing Bible studies, that all that all kept me leveled. It kept me balanced. Mm. It balanced out everything that the world could give me through rugby league. It wasn't just, oh, I'm I'm happy doing rugby league. I don't really care about God that much. I cared more about what I was learning when I went to church, when I went to Bible studies, when I had home group, when I had youth, when I had all these things going on, I cared more about that because I understood that this is what's keeping me right. on the straight and narrow. This is what's keeping me humbled. This is what's keeping me on the, on the straight path, thinking clearly. This is what's giving me peace. Welcome to the Hacker Podcast. My name is Greg Hackathorne. I hope you all are doing well. Today we are blessed to be joined by a good friend of mine. His name is Leilani Latu. He's an apostolic, former professional rugby league player who played for the Penrith Panthers, Gold Coast Titans in Australia, and the Warrington Wolves in the UK. He has an amazing testimony, and it has been beautiful to see how God has used him and his family no matter where they find themselves. Because of uh, major time difference issues between the UK and Australia, Lonnie was gracious enough to get up at 4 a.m. to join us on the podcast, and we thank him for that. Before we get to the conversation, I want to encourage you to share this with a friend if you get something out of it and allow it to bless them too. Also, if you have time to rate and review the show, hopefully we've earned a five-star rating, but if you could rate and review the show where you listen to it, I would greatly appreciate that. It it provides us feedback and it makes it easier for new listeners to discover the podcast. In fact, I want to share with you a review that we received recently out of Australia. It was a five-star review. They said, the show is well presented and a great listen. If you want to hear about the lives of inspirational Pentecostal Christians and be blessed by what they have to say, put it on while you cook, clean, drive, or go for a walk you will not be disappointed. Thank you to Glee Breads for leaving that review, and we look forward to reading more in the future. Uh, We won't be reading any of the bad ones, so if you leave us a five-star review, we may read it out here on the podcast. Now that all of that has been taken care of, let's get to my conversation with Leilani Latu. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Really excited. Yeah, yeah, I'm just excited to connect with my with Pentecostals of Sydney again with with my great mate. It's good to see you again, Greg. We've been trying to line this up for a couple of weeks, but uh, the time difference between you over there in the UK and us over here on the other side of the world it makes it a bit difficult. Yeah, by the time by the time the middle of, middle of the day comes over here in England you're going to sleep and by the time i'm going to sleep you guys are just waking up so it's a bit of a battle but we got here in the end <laughs> well when God. i was remembering when i was like uh right into golf i was watching all the golf majors the hardest one to watch was the uh, the open championships so the british <laughs> open it's like they start coverage at midnight and it's like well i'm not I'm staying not up all night to watch this but <laughs> yeah it's my the only thing that I that I miss back home is obviously my family, the church. 
both in Sydney and the Gold Coast, and and the the sun and the beach. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. <laughs> all in all, though, it's been it's been a crazy it's been a crazy journey, but yeah, I'm looking forward to digging into some of that today. Uh, just having a bit of a chat with you, uh, but with these uh, conversations, I like to start out by giving the guests the opportunity to share a bit about their background, sort of like where they're coming from, um, that sort of thing, just to give us a, a bit of idea, you know, who you are and, and what you're what you're like. So if you wouldn't yeah. mind sharing a bit about uh, your background. So my name is Leilani Latu, half, I am half Tongan, half Italian, and I have just a touch of Torres Strait Islander in me. I have three older older siblings. I'm the youngest of four, four children. My, my upbringing, I started living around Stratfield and worked my way to, to Bankstown. Uh, so I'm a proud two, two, double, double O <laughs> local from Bankstown. A lot of people won't get that, but I'm very proud to be from Bankstown. I grew up being homeless for a short while as a kid. And throughout my childhood, I went to school through St. Mary's Concord in Burwood, um, transitioned to high school in Lakemba. It wasn't until I was about 16, 17, I decided that rugby league was going to be something that I wanted to pursue. I was a Canterbury Bulldogs junior. I aspired to be a one club player. Um, unfortunately, things fell out. I got signed by Penrith Panthers when I was 19. Played uh, for that club for four years. Debuted when I was 20, 22, 23. And then, and then I got signed by the Gold Coast Titans was fortunate enough to play one game for Tonga. And amidst all that, I'm married now. Next year will be 10 years and we have two beautiful children. 10 years? I, I, I can't believe it. It's going to no, be 10 well, years, together, but it makes sense. Together, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To get, we'll be together for 10 years. Okay. Uh, and then it'll be six years married. Yeah, you better get wow. that right if she's listening. You better make sure you... You get that right, six years? Yeah, well, time flies. <laughs> yeah, so for those who may not know what Rugby League is, uh, what what's Rugby League? It's an uh, offshoot of uh, what people would know. Like if, say, if you're, you're in the U.S., you're outside of Australia or the U.K., rugby is what you'd really know. So what's Rugby League? So Rugby League is a 13-man game. It is basically... NFL just without all the stoppages mm. and without all the protection gear. Um, if I was to explain it to an American, geez, I've explained <laughs> it to a few Americans actually. Oh, well, and, I, and guess, all... the, I guess the way I explain it is uh, rugby league is like, if, if you watch rugby, it's similar to rugby, but there's right. just a limited cap, tackle count. So rugby, you take possession of the ball and you can just hold it on for hold on to it forever. Whereas in rugby league, you got six tackles. If, if you've got the ball, you've got uh, six tackles to do something with it. So I guess that would be similar to downs. 
And uh, right. if you don't score within that, then you need to kick the ball away. So I, the, the best comparison for me as an American, um, for mm. those who may know the NFL or football, it's similar to like uh, Arena League. Like if you were to watch Arena Football, that would probably well, be the closest comparison. Um, but Rugby League is way bigger than Arena Football <laughs> in Australia, in the UK, in New Zealand. Uh, so, mm. yeah. But, so you played that professionally. Now, I want to get into that, but before we get into that, because I know that's a huge part of your life, I also want to talk about how you found your way to the Pentecostals of Sydney. So you talked about how you grew up, you yep. were homeless there for a little bit, grew up mm. in, a, in a tough circumstance, and then um, you got into rugby league. You sort of found your calling, your gifting, as far as like the world would say, uh, in, yep. in that field when you were a teenager and then in your early twenties, you found your way to the Pentecostal Sydney. How did you, how did that happen? Yeah. So apart from being homeless, obviously my, my childhood wasn't, wasn't the best, but I still had my mum and dad there. So apart from being homeless, my family got moved into my grandmother's house and um, my grand, my grandfather at the time had passed away. My grandmother had remarried. I still cla classed him as my grandfather. Um, at the age of eight, uh, eight, turning to the age of nine, um, I was uh, sexually abused as a child. And then through that, through that little period of primary school, I was having to go every second day to a, to a counselor, to, to a therapist to sort of recount everything that had happened. And that sort of stuck with me throughout the ages, through my teens. Mm. And rugby league was sort of an, an escape route mm. to unleash all my anger out on people. Um, by the age of 14, 15 and 16 was when I started dabbling in drugs. I've watched my mother get put on house arrest. She got sentenced to my auntie's house, thank God, because it would have been, um, her sentence would have been in prison. And she got she got that sentence because she tried to find a loophole in, is it Centrelink? I haven't oh, even yeah, been back yeah. home in a while. Yeah, Centrelink. <laughs> <laughs> So she tried to find a loophole in the system, failed, and they tried to sentence her to two years in jail. And I I don't know how, but they gave they put her on house arrest. And to cut a long story short, she she was put there for a year and a bit. And in that year, I was in year eleven at the time. And that whole year. I basically no, I was in year twelve. So, in that whole in that whole year, I lost about eight kilos. It was the only time that I've ever been under a hundred kilos. I was wow. ninety-seven kilos that year, and it was just me and my sister, just fending for ourselves while we're at home. So basically, I was still playing for the Bulldogs at the time. And it was the only time where I just felt really weak, really lethargic. 
I was just a fuse that was about to go off every time I go into school. Any little thing that annoyed me, I'd blow up. But transitioning from that, I I, I was really successful as a as a as an eighteen year old coming into rugby league. They had what they called the under twenties Toyota Cup Toyota Cup competition, which highlighted the best eighteen to twenty year olds in the country, and they were able to get some TV time and play play in front of millions of whoever watched the Toyota Cup. So Toyota Cup played before the big game, the main mm-hmm. games. And at that pivotal moment in my life, I, th- I thought I've made it here as mm-hmm. an 18-year-old, still going to school as well. So my agent said to me, oh, you can go back to school if you want. And all you have to do is just play for Australia, Australian schoolboys. Uh, they had what they called pathways a pathways mm-hmm. program for rugby league players where basically schools could pay you to attend their school put you on their books as a student but you didn't really do anything you were just there to play rugby league right they, so they, they do similar things in the u.s with, with football <laughs> especially in college yeah, so, yeah yeah so i went to patrician brothers blacktown I went there for not even six months, I reckon. And the subjects they gave me was gym, sports coaching, and and just to go to the library and oh do something God. for 50 minutes. Oh, man. So I was sleeping for majority of the day, and then I'd do gym for one, for one subject. And then by lunchtime, I was leaving to go from Blacktown to... Sydney Olympic Park to Homebush every day for training. And then I'd get home at like 8 p.m. Mm. So my whole day would be wake up at five, get to the train station at six, get to Blacktown, get to my school at 7.30, do gym for half an hour, then do training with the school, with the school team at 8 a.m for an hour and then do school for two, three hours and then leave to then go go train for the Bulldogs. Wow. And so at the end of that year, that was the that was when I did my so first how old were you? injury. How old were you at that time? I was I was eighteen. Yeah, so your whole life was basically football. That that was it. That was it. Rugby league rugby league became my my main goal. Hmm. You're saying you had your first injury at the end of that year. That was just a stress fa- a stress fracture in my foot, and it was just before my tour to New Zealand mm. to play for Australia. And uh, you you get what's called FOMO. You get the, the the fear of missing out. Right. And that that just overwhelmed me, and I couldn't deal with. The fact that I was missing out on on so much, and so I tried to. the The only thing that I thought was the right thing to do was to just try and end it because I couldn't deal with the stress. I couldn't deal with watching others do what I wanted to do, 
mm. and I couldn't do it and I couldn't deal with that so I, I just took a whole sheet of pills downed it with a straight straight bottle of bourbon and I didn't wake up for a day and a half oh man yeah I think my mum I think my mum tried to wake me up yeah my mum was the one that woke me up and yeah I remember the, the her face and she was scared crying saying what like what what did you do and I couldn't even give her an answer because I, I was just completely out of it you didn't even go to uh, hospital there was that was all at home oh my goodness uh, no, it was just all at home yeah just just wake up in my bed wow and then just went on with my day <laughs> so I I met my wife when we were 19 she'd come from a background of going to going to church with her family I'd I'd grown up with my family not going to church everyone uh except my dad my dad was a catholic my mum my mum was a was a catholic as well so i i didn't really practice the whole catholicism thing i mm. i was just my my whole belief was i believe in god and if i got questioned on on it i would i would happily say yeah i believe in god and that's it right so my me, me and my wife's beliefs, our morals, how we think, kept clashing because one upbringing was different from the other. We were coming from two different worlds every single time, and ultimately it it just come down to one night where she said, "We just need God in our lives." Hmm. And I said, "I said, well, why why do we need God? Why why should we ask God for anything? Like it doesn't matter what we do." There's always a consequence at the end of it. And she said, no, we need God. And if you if you don't want that, then we can end it right now. Hmm. And I said, okay. I didn't want to I didn't want to end it with her. So on the first Sunday that we ever went, I played a game for the Bulldogs. We beat the Roosters at Belmore. And my teammate at the time, he was next to me. His name's David Clemmer, and we we sang the team song, and he's crying, and I look over at him and he's crying, and I said, "What's wrong?" He said, uh, "I just found out my sister's been rushed to hospital. She's got too much pressure on her brain. They don't know if she's going to make it." Oh, wow. And I, I've never told anyone this before. I've never said this to anyone. I said. I said, right, look, I'm going to this new church tonight. I'll pray for him. And he said, all right, then. And on the way to church, all I could think about was, I'm a Catholic. Like, why am I going to a different church? Mm. And I just felt like I was betraying my mum and my dad. But in my head, I was like, no, if you want to stay with Nina, you're going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Didn't have much of a choice. No, no. So... <laughs> I've, I've rocked up to Pentecostals of Sydney in Camp C, and my guard is just fully up. Everyone's trying to come say hello to me, well, me and my wife and her family, and I'm just fake smile, shaking hands with everyone. And I've sat down, and the the praise and worship starts, and I go, well, but this is like a movie, this. <laughs> I've, I've never ever seen this before and 
it was, I think it was the last night of Turning Point. Mark, I think it was Reverend Mark Morgan. Mm -hmm. It was the last night. Yep. And oh man, so you—that's that's a baptism by fire. First Sunday at POS coming to Turning Point. That's crazy. Yeah. He was. Oh man. I've got to look at. I've got to look back at what he was talking about. I think he was talking about the Church of Ephesus. Mm. Anyway, he said, "Right, turn all the lights off and just put one, one big spotlight on me." And I was sitting on the aisle seat, and I fell asleep. I said, "Yes, yeah, sweet." So no one's going to see me if I fall asleep here. And I wake up. Reverend Mark Morgan's just finished his preaching. Pastor Stan Harvey walks up takes the mic and he says, God is telling me that there is someone here who is going through this or knows of someone go, going through a problem with their brain. He goes, I'm here to tell you they're healed. Wow. And I looked at my wife and I said, did you tell him, why did he say that? Did you tell him to say that? And it was like, whatever I had told her previously, it went straight over her head. And she was like, what are you talking about? She didn't even remember. She didn't even remember. And I remember I remembered I just looked at, at Pastor Stan and it was like this wind hit me in my face and I just started crying and tears were flowing. And I was just, I was like, why am I crying? Mm. And all he said was the altar is open. And it was literally like someone just grabbed me by the arm and I just walked myself down there. Didn't even tell Nina, didn't even tell my fa uh, her family. Just walked myself down there and I'm looking around and you've got people wailing, you've got people speaking in tongues, you've got people just praising him. And I wasn't even overwhelmed by it. I was just looking around and I just closed my eyes and I said, God, I have never had this experience with you ever mm. i said but if this if this i said if this is you then then make it known and i will do anything that that you ask of me wow and it was i didn't even get i didn't even get filled with the holy ghost that night it wasn't until we had a bridge it was a bridge party at Matt Cogan's house. Mm -hmm. We had, we, I met Pastor, met Pastor and his Pastor Stan and his family, and all all my mates now. <laughs> all the boys. Basically, all the boys. <laughs> and um, so it went from a bridge party into a, a Bible study, and it was on John three five. Right, it was about yeah. John three five, and Matt Cogan taught it, and I just got convicted right then and there and i was i was like i i need to get baptized i mm. need to get baptized so that was the day that i got baptized at matt cogan's house and then it wasn't even just me it was my wife and the next youngest sister of her so there was three baptisms that day in, in the swimming and, pool right was that in yeah you did it in matt cogan's yeah. swimming pool i remember that yeah Borrowed, borrowed his dad's clothes as well because <laughs> they were the only clothes that could fit me. <laughs> um, so, and then two weeks later, we were having service still at Earlwood. Do you remember that? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jimbo, yeah. I was going to so ask you if, you if you had come... I couldn't remember if you had come before or whether or not. I thought you may have come while we were there, while we were doing the renovations, but you, it seems like you came just before at, at Turning Point. Yeah, yeah. So I think Turning Point was like very close to when you, you were about to start doing renovations. Yeah, it was like a month out. It was like one month out. Yeah, yeah. And so when we went to Owen, pastor preached this crazy message on forgiveness. Mm. And he only, he said right at the start, if we can't forgive those who have hurt us, or if we can't forgive ourselves, then we can't move on in our walk with God. And, and he said that around, like, before he even started reading the Bible verse. Mm. And the whole, the whole service, I just kept on crying. Because the only thing that kept coming up in my mind was my grandfather mm. and how he had abused me and how all the anger, all the rage, all the, the, all the, this time of not trusting people, putting on a mask, not showing my true emotions. It just all stemmed from that. Mm. So I, I was just crying nonstop. And I, it was like, just hurry up and finish the word so I can come down to the altar. I was, I was just like, just come on, come on, hurry up. And when I, I went down on all fours and it was just a puddle around me and all I could say to God was, this hurts, this hurts so much. This is this pain that, that is there in my heart. It's so hard to let go of, but I know that I need to give you this. Otherwise, I can't move on. I was like, I, I forgive him, God, but please take this from me. And literally when I said that, I had Brother Sami and a few other Fijians pick me up and they were just praying with me. And it was like for a brief couple of seconds, everything just went quiet. And I couldn't hear them, couldn't hear the music, couldn't hear the people around me. And then it was like this. Wow. And I come back, I come back to, I, I come back to the present moment and I was just speaking in tongues wow, straight away. Yeah. And it was just one of those moments where I just thought, wow, like I've never, ever, I've never felt, felt like this before. And even after I felt this peace, this, this peace over me that it was like that that little person isn't there anymore. Mm. That little voice isn't yeah. there anymore. Powerful. I was just going to say, um, and you were talking about how that that event that took place with your grandfather had fueled this um, anger, this animosity that you had, and, and kind of fueled your football a bit. Mm. And I was just thinking, like, that doesn't match at all with the Lonnie that I know. You know, this we would kind of call you like the gentle giant this really nice guy laid back um and i guess that just goes to show the transformation that took place in your life when you came to god when you turned your life over to him and, and released that stuff that that god really did change you from the inside out yeah he really did it was just i just knew how to wear a mask to put a mask on in front of people i knew how to hide 
my true emotions, hide my feelings. And that day, God, God dealt, dealt with me. Yeah, what a powerful testimony. Uh, I, I love your testimony, and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the podcast, because it's just so beautiful, you know, what God has done in your life. And you were talking about how during that time, you know, you were playing for the Bulldogs, you ended up signing over with the Panthers. So you're trying to progress in your career. This was like sort of the beginning stages of, of your professional football career. You mentioned that you debuted for the Panthers. So when you were talking about the Bulldogs, that in, in your conversation with David Klimmer, what, what was the mm. result of that? Was his... Um... Yeah. So the next day we went, we went back to training. I asked him, I said, how's your sister? And he said, oh, yeah, she's sweet. She's at home now. Oh, wow. And I said, oh, so, I said, so what happened? And, he, and they said, well, my, so the, his mum was in, in the back of the car, in the back of the ambulance with, with her. And the nurses are like, we've got to get her on the operating table. We've got to get her. We've got to get her there quick. By the time it all had transpired, something didn't add up. By the time they transferred it to emergency, by the time they got onto the table, and by the time they did a scan on her, it just went away. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. Wow. So wow. when you were playing for the Bulldogs, that was like um, that was like a, a lower grade. That wasn't the uh, top grade. You're a professional throughout mm-hmm. all this, but you're not in the actual top grade in the National Rugby League, the NRL. When did you debut for the Panthers in the NRL? So what others would call first grade. I debuted... 2015 mm. my first game was against the Rabbitohs at ANZ Stadium my they had just won the grand final the year before they had these four Englishmen all, all brothers the Burgess brothers and my coach at the time said to me your mission is to is to smash all four of them <laughs> And I remember I just looked at him as if to say, yeah, right. Thanks, man. <laughs> like that's a, that's a, that's a doable thing. Thanks. They're all just six foot four, six yeah, foot five peace. Englishmen that are just muscle upon muscle upon muscle. And it was just something that as a, as a kid, I dreamed of doing, I dreamed to be a rugby league player. At the age of 15, 16, I questioned, did I want to do this? I was just one of those kids that was blessed with natural ability rather mm. than having to put in the work to get better. And yeah, fast forward and I've played uh, close to 80 games. Yeah, I think it's about 75, 76 games I played. First grade. Up. So, yeah. What was the environment like playing for a professional team because like you know you're on tv people know you people are cheering for you people are criticizing you uh mm-hmm. you know you're hanging out with these other guys that may be household names so yeah. what was that like what was it like being a what was the environment like it was volatile it was it was very hard as, as a christian it was very hard to walk into work each and every day and all you're hearing is men's problems mm. from their home and they're sharing about 
about their in their intimate stories about their marriages or their girlfriends um gambling non-stop wanting to go out for a drink non-stop if there was a week that let that where we played continued into a bye week where we didn't have a game we're usually talking about all right what drugs can we get it was just a hostile environment for any christian for any christian really the way i went around it was that you know there were days where i was able to to com- combat it and then there were days where i fell into it and i was amongst it it was just it, it was one of those things where as a christian i wasn't matured matured yeah i mean I, you're, I wasn't, you're a I young wasn't, christian yeah it was just but my faith going to church studying the word doing bible studies that all that all kept me leveled it kept me balanced mm-hmm. it balanced out everything that the world could give me through rugby league it wasn't just oh i'm i'm happy doing rugby league i don't really care about god that much i cared more about what i was learning when i went to church when i went to bible studies when i had home group when i had youth when i had all these things going on i cared more about that because i understood that this is what's keeping me right on the straight and narrow this is what's keeping me humbled this is what's keeping me on the on the straight path thinking clearly this is what's giving me peace right like you said before rugby league just it it provided for me yes it paid for a lot of things but in the midst of that yeah you get you get criticized mm. a lot of people are rugby league analysts these days <laughs> so it was just getting criticized left right and center um coming to say hello to you on your days off when when you just wanted to you know have a day off mm. from no from no rugby league but it, it is what it is, you know. I, I'm very privileged that I could play rugby league. Well, I remember being friends with you just, like, really opened up my eyes to professional sports, you know, what you guys have to deal with, the choices that are made. Like, uh, a brief example with your uh, with your, your personal career is, you know, you signed that extension with the Penrith Panthers, so you're assuming that you're going to be with them for four years. And then yeah. one year into it, or... Maybe it was two years into it, but they uh, sign another forward and they're looking at moving in another direction and they're trying to offload mm-hmm. your contract. And it's like, you committed to them for four years and they weren't interested in being committed to you for the entirety of that no. contract. And that sort of stuff yeah. happens all the time. And you, as a fan, you don't really see those sorts of things. As a as a person, you, you don't. And it really opened my eyes to, uh, you know, the teams that I cheer for. It's like, oh man, these are, real people that deal with real issues like uh, and we're gonna we're gonna lead into that that your career moved you in different directions but before we get to that I just wanted to ask you what advice would you give a young person who's trying to live for God in today's society I mean I feel like you probably were in the in the thick of it you're probably in one of the hardest cultures to try and be a Christian and you've been able to do that and so uh, what advice would you give a young person who's trying to live for God today? I would say to develop a prayer life and to keep it, 
that would mean and i would i would rather you do it in the early hours of the morning before you start your day mm-hmm. because prayer having prayer before your day gives you this it's like it just throws like a big shape cloth piece over you and it sort of just mellows out the mm-hmm. start of your day instead of being erratic and crazy and all over the place you're just in the moment in the zone and you're at peace you know what you have to do because you've just given your first fruits to god Mm. and a prayer life is it is harder at at the start because ideally no one wants to wake up and pray straight away let's be honest but obviously for a person who's coming into the church, a new, a newly Christian, praying is just the most important thing that you must do. And it will keep you humble. It will keep you centered. It will keep you in touch with God. And if you are sensitive to his voice, God will just direct you. He will speak to you. You will find times where when you're just praying, or even just crying and seeking him, he will just give you a word Mm. of encouragement. Mm. That's the next part of it. So not just the prayer life, it's, it's opening yourself up, making yourself available to being a part of the church in any way you can. Mm. That's youth, that's Bible studies, that's getting, trying to get together with trying to catch up with other men and women that are in the church right uh there's that saying you become like the friends you hang around that's right you become like those who you spend time with basically yeah right for me i'm sort of rocking a hard place (laughs) i was i was spending so much time with these with these men who none of them believed in god some of them were mormons some of them classified themselves as christians but we were all just in a vol- in a very hostile environment where there wasn't that much spoken about God. We had an Anglican priest, an Anglican. We had a, pl- a teammate who was slowly transitioning from rugby league to retirement, and he wanted to become an Anglican priest. And he decided that we should start doing a bit of Bible studies here and there amongst the team, amongst the players. And they actually, they actually wrote an article about us, about some of the players praying over the team, over the stadium, over the, the club. And it was what we were doing literally mm-hmm. once a week. It was just interesting to, to see where everyone's beliefs were, to see where everyone's understanding of the word was. I think yeah, also for, like for time. with your with your involvement in that sport, like everyone talks about how you know you need to have team unity and you have to hang around the boys and you got to develop that culture off the field as well. Like you've got the culture on the field, but you also have to have the culture off the field. So I can imagine how difficult that would be, you know, because they want you to be part of the team, you want to be part of the team, but you also understand yeah. that what they're doing is not necessarily what you should be getting up to or what you should be about as as a christian it's it's hard because 
you've just got to make those tough decisions and that, and literally that that's what that's what being christian is going to do is going to create sometimes it's going to create it's going to make way for you to break friendships up break relationships up it's going to god that that's what god's going to do god's just going to convict you in your heart because he knows what is right he knows what you should be doing but it's just a case of whether or not you want to do it or not mm, yeah and I, I i agree i mean and I, I love those two points that you made that if you're going to try and live for god in the society the first thing you need to do is pray and also that you highlighted first thing in the morning because that you're presenting your day before God. You're allowing right. God to you know take control of what your day is going to be like instead of trying to make your way through the day and then coming to Him at the end of it. You're actually mm. you know bringing that before Him and then He can be the one that leads leads and guides your day. And then also right. surrounding yourself with the type of people that yeah. are going to help you to become a better Christian, help you to become more. Yeah like him amen well so your career we mentioned it a bit that your career has led you to multiple locations around the world you were at the panthers at the start and then uh, you basically got pushed over to gold coast they signed you and you were there for a couple years at the gold coast mm-hmm. titans and then ultimately you ended up playing in the super league over in the uk is it the warrington wolves is that was the yeah 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 so yeah, they, tools, yeah. yeah, they took on your contract and, and you guys moved over there a couple of years ago before the pandemic. And obviously these moves forced you to change churches, it forced you to leave family behind. So how mm. have you been able to stay strong in your walk with God as a family, even through all of these different seismic changes? We're not talking about small moves. We're talking about big moves yeah. where you're basically leaving everyone behind. It questioned our faith at the start because here we are living in Sydney. We've got friends, we've got family, we've got a church, we've got a house, we're married. Why do we need to leave? Mm. And it wasn't until I went to the Gold Coast where God did did a really, really big number on me. It was, so I met Pastor Jacob Coltaviano he just outlined who he was, who he is, what the church is about. And I'd sa- I said to him, I said, look, I said, look, I trust you. I've already met you before. I know you're just like Pastor Stan. And whatever you need of me and my wife, like, we'll be there. And, and that was it, really. It was a case of literally presenting ourselves, being open, being available for our pastor, and for whatever he needed of us to be, or whoever he needed us to be at that church, we were there as support. We were there as as a couple who could help others, other couples transition into church as well. And yeah, well, can't reminisce too much, Greg. Otherwise, I'm gonna <laughs> start getting emotional here, mate. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's just. Gold Coast played a really big part because it was the first time that me and my wife left our family. Even though it was right. an hour's flight, flight home, we felt our, our faith get really tested because my wife was pregnant. We were about to have our first baby and we couldn't really depend on anyone. It was 
It was like we just needed to depend on each other, lean on each other, and lean on God. Mm. I I would say I would say that my my in my three years there, though it didn't go according to how I thought it would, I felt like me and my wife had grew a step closer with God. Mm. But in the midst of that, it was the first time where I've actually I actually watched someone who was a volunteer worker at the Titans. He kept coming in and out. He was a, a fanatic fan. And I watched him keep coming down to our training sessions every morning and he'd just sit there and watch. Even if it was hot, even if it was bucket down raining, even if there was hails, hailstones coming down, he would just sit there and watch us train. Mm. And the players used to say like, does he not have a job? Does he like not have a life? Come to find out that this guy, he had gotten into an accident at work, hurt his lower back. They deemed him disabled, like disabled, because he couldn't he couldn't lift anything heavy over his over his top half top half of his body. So he ended up suing suing his work, got compensated for it, bought a house, everything, and he was sitting at home. And he's and he told his wife. He said, "I'm depressed. Like I've got no meaning in life. I've got no purpose. What do I do? I can't help you." And my and his wife said, well, "Why don't you go down and watch the rugby? That's something you love doing." So he'd been coming down to rugby, watching us nonstop. Finally, I said hello to him. His name was Adam, and from that, he got up. And he would slowly transition, like come onto the field, help all these players out. He's like, "Do you want me to collect the balls for you when you when you do goal kicking, or when you just do kicking in general? I can just collect the balls for you." So here he is now, talking to like these players that he loves and adores on TV, and now he's on the field. Then the staff, the 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 staff pick up on it and they go, "Do you want a job here?" So then he gets given all this gear, this this Titans gear, and he's just made up. He's like a little kid, and he's just going around, whizzing around. Finally, one day he stops me and he says, hey, Lani, you're a Christian, aren't you? I said, yeah. He said, um, do you have a church that me and my wife could go to? Because my wife's been looking for a church all up and down the Gold Coast, and she can't find one where she feels like, she belongs and i said mate you've come to the right person <laughs> i said we've got we had this couple from america the the joe strands mm -hmm. and they were um they were preaching at our at our church and it was the second night and i said to him come come with your wife and i guarantee you won't you won't leave that church the same way you walked in mm. the second she walked in the second they walked in, praise and worship started. She walked herself down to the down to the front and started speaking in tongues straight away. Oh wow. Started speaking in tongues. She's come back after prayer and worship, praise and worship, and she's crying. She said, This is the church. This is my church. Wow. This is the church I've been I've been waiting for. And then from that I started doing Bible studies with Adam. And you just wish that there's a camera like Big Brother, a camera 
that you watch the transition of a man who gave me every excuse. I'm 40, I'm 40 plus years old. I'm too old to know the Bible. I'm too old to, to know the things of the Bible. I should know this. I should know that. And you just wish a camera could watch the transition of what that man used to be to literally when he gets the revelation in his heart about who God actually is. Mm. And but he got filled, started speaking in tongues first, and then he rang me while I was in Sydney playing. And he said, I just got filled with the Holy Ghost. Now I want to get baptized, but I'm waiting for you to come back so I can get baptized. I said, no, get baptized now. <laughs> <laughs> I said, get baptized now so that you don't doubt yourself. Yeah, and he awesome. said, no, no. He said, no, I'm, I'm going to get baptized when you come back. So I watched him get baptized and he's still in the church now. This was, this is, we're going on three years now, still in the church now. Pastor Jacob is, is using him to bridge connections with, with new couples, with new men who are coming to, who are transitioning into church because he's just a social butterfly. You put him in any environment and he'll be able to strike up a conversation with three or four people yeah. very easily. Um, he said that he just renovated his whole house and now pastors wants to use his house for a home group. Wow, and I awesome. just thought, yeah. And I remember the last thing, when I did my Bible study, the last thing that I said to him was, I said, if... If I could put it down to anything in my three years that I've been here in the Gold Coast, I said, on on the rugby pitch, it hasn't been that great. I haven't seen that much game time, haven't done that much. I said, but the one thing that I got to watch God change you. Mm. I said, if that's the only thing out of this, then I'm happy. That's awesome. That's what yeah. it's all about is like seeing lives change. And that's what I've noticed with you two, with, with your, with your wife, Nina and yourself is that when you guys do make these moves, the first thing you do is make yourselves available. Like you're not uh, a fly by nighter, you know, I'm just going to yeah. come here every once in a while when I'm in town, you know, I'm going to be playing there and here and there. And yeah, I'll just come and be a part of the church from the outside. No, you guys want to get your hands dirty, want to get involved, want to make sure that you're doing all that you can for the kingdom of god yeah and from the outside looking um, in i mean i feel like that's something that's really kept you guys that you weren't satisfied with just going to church but you wanted to be involved in church you wanted yeah. to be part of what god is doing on the go coast and now what he's doing in in the uk man over here is just another it's another podcast when i come over here and so all right the craziest thing was was that England was not something that I, I I always thought about. It was on my, it kept knocking on my door every single time. Wigan, Wigan Warriors wanted me for six months straight. And I said, no, no, I'm not going to England. I told my agent, I said, get someone else. I don't care who it is. I don't care for how much. Just get someone else from over Australia, over in Australia. And he said, there's no one. England's the only one calling. So I had an option to go to Wigan. I had an option to go to Wakefield. I had an option to go to Leeds. And I told Pastor Jacob and he just, he didn't want to say, 
I don't want you to go, but he was like, if it's what has to if if it's what has to happen, then then so be it. Mm. And one of the last few days where I spent on the Gold Coast, my agent rang me and he said, Warrington wants you. Told my pastor. And on that Sunday, we had Pastor Timothy Lee come from Singapore. And Pastor Jacob made me sit down with him and share to him what, what's, what's happening. And so Timothy Lee says, okay, if you were to pick a club from these four, I would strongly recommend you pick Warrington because it is close to a pastor that I know well and it is the only church that I would recommend for you to go to. And it was Pastor John Hemus's church that I'm going to now in Liverpool. So Warrington to Liverpool is 20 minute drive. The first time that I went down to this, to my pastor's church here, it was like, you're still a baby. In the Christian sense, you're just still a baby. You're still immature. And it really tested my faith when, when COVID hit. Just had my baby girl a week before the first lockdown hit. And during that lockdown, it was just pandemonium. It, it just felt like a prison sentence. Rugby league got put on hold. Everyone got put. It was this massive standstill. And we were just doing church from our laptops. Mm. And it wasn't the same. And this really tested us because we weren't just an hour's flight from our family anymore. Right. We were on the other side of the world. All we could do was just talk. We couldn't actually physically go up and hug, hug our family or give our kids to our family when we were sick. It was just, this is us, it's just us. And during the lockdown, we, so our church is a missionary church of Bishop Chester Wright's Antioch Church. Oh, okay. So we, during that uh, lockdown, we did what what Chester Wright's church called Call to War. It was a week long, week long's worth of just prayer, constant prayer for about five, six, seven hours just non-stop praying in tongues and by day three day four it just felt like what felt like an hour we had been going for non-stop during the whole night even when we put our kids to bed me and my wife were just praying weeping rebuking prophesying it was just and that that was the the shift in our spiritual walk where it was like there's a reason why we had to be here mm. in at this time in this moment COVID's hit we're doing this we're by ourselves over here we don't know anyone over here and it it, it tested our faith but amongst all that it really it, it gave us that that driven hunger to to say like, it doesn't matter if we've come from Australia to England, mm. we're still here. We've right. got a pur there's a purpose as to why we're here in England. And when that happened, out of it, my wife was speaking to two other wives 
who their husbands I used to play with back in Sydney and against. Oh, wow. And they're doing Bible studies. So she's doing Bible studies with them, but she's not the one teaching. And it was one of the partners, it was one of the wives who was who was teaching it. She didn't understand the full extent of what she was teaching to her audience. Right. So in the middle of it, she says, yeah, you know what? I actually don't really understand what it is that I'm that I'm trying to teach you. So Nina says, well, what if we just, instead of just us girls, what if we just get the husbands together as well and Lani can teach? And then they said, okay. So here I am now teaching guys who I used to hang out with back home. Yeah. But now in a different country. In the UK. In Warrington, in the UK. And I just sort of stepped back and I thought, wow, my God, you, I was just lost for words. Mm. And out of it, I did Bible studies with a few of my, my rugby mates and a couple, his name is Robert Louie. Oh, yeah. So he lives, he played countless amount of games for the Tigers, played countless amount of games for Cowboys, come over here. It was a household name over here. Mm-hmm. playing for multiple clubs and was successful winning grand finals. And he, I watched him and his wife the exact same as my mate Adam from the Gold Coast. Just watched them change each time they kept coming back for Bible studies, each time they kept coming back for church. I just watched God just like strip a layer, strip a layer, strip a layer. And then there was one one night, the night before them coming over for Bible study, my, my wife, Nina, just said, right, that's it. We're not going to pray this. We're doing it. I said, what? What are we doing? She said, let's clean the bathtub tonight, put towels there and everything, and tomorrow when you, when you, when you teach them, they're getting baptised after. I taught them on the tabernacle. Nothing in regards to baptism in, <laughs> did I... Did I ever say anything about baptism in that whole thing? And it literally brought them to tears. And then I said, do you want to get baptized? They said, yep. I said, all right then. So I've, I've like, I've gotten up, I've rang my pastor. I said, pastor, they want to get baptized today. Can I, can I baptize them in the bathtub? He said, yes. I said, and then when I went up there, I doubted myself and I go, oh, I don't even know if this bathtub is even big enough for the the husband. I said, it might might work for the the wife, but it's not big enough for the husband. And um, he said, okay, don't worry about it. Just come on Sunday. Come on Sunday and we'll do it then. Sunday rolls around and my mate and his wife, they have an autistic nine-year-old boy and a young three-year-old boy but this the oldest one he decided to take a take it upon himself to take his mum his mum and dad's credit card open the door and go walk himself down to the local grocery store to get himself some food oh my goodness so the husband rob he ring the no the wife rings us in in a state of panic because she's like Matthias is gone. We don't know where he is. Um, 
I was like getting dressed. So I could hear her and I and I told Nina, I said, right, I'm getting in the car now. I've got to drive to Leeds. So Leeds from Warrington is about an hour and a half's journey. So I said, oh, I'll get in the car now and I'll come and help you. He just, she just said, no, no, it's fine. Like we've got the police working on it, but we just need prayer. Like just please pray for us. So I've literally, Nina's called the whole church, told them, right, pray, like stop what you're doing, pray now. Five minutes later, after we finished praying, the wife goes, we found him. There was a homeless man on the other side of the road, minding his business. He just saw Matthias walking in his slippers and he walked up to him. He gathered the fact that, okay, this kid, this kid's not fully there. And he walked, he stayed with him got the police's attention, like got someone's attention to ring the police. So he stayed with, with Matthias the whole way. Wow. Yeah. And I remember when they come to church, it was like this relief. I'm in an iron because then they were like, oh, we're not, we're, we weren't sure if we wanted to get baptized or not. And I said, well, you're here now. And both of them just, the wife went first started speaking in tongues should she come out of the water and then rob went in come up was speaking in tongues and he was just crying non-stop and it was just like like it 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 just proved that it doesn't matter where where i went where i go like god is still the same Praise and god. you hear yeah. that it's like a broken record god yeah. is saying and it's just I, I was just blown away. I said, God, this is your handiwork, this. Yeah. What an amazing testimony. But it just yeah. it's a it just goes to the fact that you guys remained open to, you know, what God wanted to do in you, in your life and through your family. And uh, yeah. God continues to do a work. Well, we've been going for quite a while, so uh, I think we need to wrap it up. And I like to at the end of these conversations to give uh, my guests the opportunity just to share a word with the listeners, something that God has laid on your heart for the podcast. So Lonnie, thank you for your time today. Thank you for sharing your story. Uh, I've, Thanks, I've really been blessed by it. And uh, you're a friend of mine. And I've also learned a few things today. And the story about the UK, that was really amazing. And thank you for sharing that. But thanks for your time today, if you wouldn't mind sharing a word with the <clears throat> listeners. Yeah. Um, okay. I chose a, a little a little portion of scripture from Lamentations chapter three, and basically to give you a brief overview, it's Jeremiah's mourning for the loss of Jerusalem, and amongst where I was reading, he turns tragedy into triumph very quickly. And so the scripture that I wanted to to leave you with is is this. So Jeremiah says in chapter three, verse from verse twenty-two, it says, "It is because of the Lord's loving kindnesses that we are not consumed, because His tender compassions never fail." So I'm reading from the Amplified version. The next verse: They are new every morning. Great and beyond measure is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion and my inheritance, says my soul. 
Therefore, I have hope in him and wait expectantly for him. The Lord is good to those who wait confidently for him, to those who seek him on the authority of God's word. It is good that one waits quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke of godly discipline in his youth. Let him sit alone in hope and keep quiet because God has laid it on him for his benefit. This, when I read this scripture, all I could think about was my journey from coming from the UK, even before that, going to the Gold Coast first and then moving over to the UK. It was the same thing. I'm a man who's left everything that me and my wife have left everything that we've ever known, everything that we've built, all the memories, all our family, all the friends has been left behind. And now we're starting again. It just felt like we're starting again. And what turned out to be upsetting, what turned out to be a downfall at the start has turned into a victory in my walk with God because without the experiences that I've had both in the Gold Coast and over here in the UK, without certain things coming to pass both in the Gold Coast and over here with COVID, without all these tragedies happening, I would not be able to sit here in front of you and speak about the victories that I've had in the midst of those tragedies to speak to you about how great God actually is in the midst of valley moments. And my message to you, whoever is listening, is to patiently wait on the Lord in your, in your troubled hour. And it is so cliche for pastors to talk about that. It is, it is, it is like a broken record sometimes because you hear it nonstop and it, and it sounds so cheesy about waiting on the Lord in, in your desperate hour. But the next time you do hear it, think about all the prophets. Think about the, the faith chapter, Hebrews 11. Every verse is by faith. By faith, a prophet or a prophetess did this. By faith, they waited on the Lord. How much faith or how much discipline or how much in-depth was their connection with God that they could clearly hear his voice, that they could clearly speak on his behalf, that they could be used in a mighty way to lead nations or to deliver nations or to speak into someone's life. In essence, that's us today, except we have distractions around us constantly. You've got television, you've got media, you've got division between vaccinated and unvaccinated. Do I wear a mask? Don't I wear a mask? Do I agree to these rules? Don't I agree to these rules? It's just a constant distraction everywhere. I, I picked this scripture because this was literally me each and every day when I left Australia to come over to the UK. I thought there was no way that I could possibly endure 
my time here in the UK and find some enjoyment out of it. But praise God, God has laid his hands on this pastor, Pastor John Hemus, on the body that is here, on the people that he has here. And each and every one of them have, have helped me, have counseled me. And I am a byproduct of the Pentecostals of Sydney, of Grace Point Church in the Gold Coast, and of the Apostolic Church of Liverpool, all because I made myself available, all because I, I didn't just sit there and wallow and come up with excuses. I didn't say, woe is me. I got my hands dirty with my wife. We got our hands dirty and we made ourselves available for God. We have built a foundation of God is constantly there in our life, in our marriage, amongst our kids. And in amongst all of that, as an individual, we've kept him there. And every, tra every tragedy that we've had, every down moment that we've had, there's always been an upside to it because we've always had God at the forefront. And I hope that encourages someone out there today.